The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Have you ever gone for a hike in the woods? You're following a clearly marked path. The trees are clearly marked. The trail is wide open. You make your way down the trail knowing you have the map in front of you and you know the trail is clearly marked and you're on your way. You're enjoying the wildlife. When suddenly you discover you don't know where you're at. Somehow the trees are no longer marked. There's no longer a clear path. It's obvious that no one has gone before you for quite some time. The weeds have all grown up. The shrubs have grown up. You're saying, where'd my path go? Well, there are two clear paths marked out. This is not a situation where we can be fooled about which path we're on. The markings indicate which path we're on. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount begins to address these paths. He speaks in chapter 6. Chapter 6 of the book of Matthew. With verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Okay, now you know already there is a path of light and there is a path of darkness. They are two very clear paths. If the path is light, it's one path. If the light is gone and it's now a path of darkness, you know you're on another path. If then the light within you is darkness, how great will be that darkness? So immediately I began to ask, what is the identifying mark of a dark path? What's the path sign say? Jesus goes on now to tell us what that path is marked by. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words, you cannot be on both paths at the same time. The paths are very clearly differentiated one from another, and they do not travel parallel to one another. They are separated. These two paths, you will either love one path and hate the other, or hate this one and love that one. You cannot walk on both paths. Never forget, I was the proud owner of a sailboat. It was a 19-foot flying Scott. I just put it in the water. A good friend of mine, a pastor, Mitch, he'd never been sailing. He asked if I'd take him. So we were down at the marina on the Potomac. There's a hoist there where you pick your boat up off the trailer and you swing it around and slowly, gently lower it down into the water. On that day, the tide was quite high. So I put the boat in the water and I said to Mitch, Mitch, would you mind holding onto the boat while I move the trailer so that someone else can come, but the boat won't float away? He said, not a problem. Ray, I'll grab it. And so he he grabbed it. I drove the car away and parked in the appropriate place with the trailer behind. And as I came back to the boat... I saw that he had one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock. And the boat was headed south. And there was nothing I could do to rescue him. I got there just in time to see the great splash. There are two paths and we cannot straddle them like he straddled that boat. If we try, there will be a great splash called burnout called anger, called discouragement. There will be a great splash called anger and separation. It's to be expected. You cannot walk on two paths at the same time. Jesus speaks about this path and then identifies it very specifically. You cannot serve both God and money. If I had my billfold with me, I'd take a 20 out. I'd hold it up and show you. It's a piece of paper. What's that piece of paper worth? Nothing. 
The only reason we assign it value is that in our culture, we have agreed that that piece of paper will represent certain things. Specifically, it will represent time and effort in order to receive it. It will represent a contribution that we make. And in return, we receive the piece of paper that is worthless, but is simply a symbol. We'll take that symbol to giant grocery store, and they will receive that symbol and give to us the goods at the appropriate amount for that $20 bill. Now, there was a day when those paper dollars were backed up by gold. And then you could hold this beautiful gold medal in your hand, and you had something. But even solid gold is merely a symbol. Of what value is gold? It's worthless. Except that it's very rare. And so we've assigned now almost $1,000 an ounce in our culture to gold. And now they're saying it may go this next year to $2,000 an ounce. And so it's something highly treasured because many people want it. And gold is in short supply because the mining has dropped its ability to produce it. And so gold has been searched out for centuries. But gold, too, is a symbol. It's a symbol of a path. The Lord is saying, you cannot serve both God and money. He's not really speaking about a dollar bill or a gold piece or a silver piece. He's saying you cannot serve God and the path of the world that is symbolized by that money. That is, you cannot serve both God and a worldly lifestyle where you say, my primary concern is provision. My primary concern is what I have. My primary concern is being able to provide for my family. Or my primary concern is being able to buy groceries. Or my primary concern is being able to have a house to live in. All of that is the way of the world. It is not the way of the Lord God of heaven. You cannot serve both God and money. I have seen many people come to the National Prayer Chapel. And they are interested in exploring the possibility of serving Jesus. But when they begin to understand the depth of what it means to serve Jesus, they recognize they cannot have their life and the life of Jesus at the same time. You cannot serve both God and mammon. If your primary concern is your provision, you will soon become exceedingly uncomfortable in this house. Because we have chosen another path, and it's clearly marked out. It's a path of righteousness. It's a path for the kingdom of God, not the way of the world. Now, there are a number of places in Scripture where this issue is addressed. I'd like you to look with me at 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. I'll begin with verse 9. 
People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. In the Greek, it literally is talking about piercing yourself through. But that's not clear either. The word that's being used is literally that which is used for a trap. Where a man goes out and he finds a deer path and he digs out a hole, maybe a hole four feet deep. And in that hole, he places sharp sticks pointing up. And those sharp stakes are pressed down into the ground. So when an animal comes running down that trail, he steps on that hole because it's been covered with branches or it's been covered with something that masks the fact that there's a hole there. The animal doesn't see it. It steps into that hole and it plunges down into that hole and is pierced through by these stakes that have been pointed straight up. And of course, he then bleeds to death. And he is captured. This is the symbolism that's being used in the scripture. They wandered from the faith. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. And have pierced themselves with many griefs. They've fallen into the trap And their life has become a life of utter grief and barrenness. Because as they ran down that well-marked trail after money, after lifestyle, after the things of this world, they were caught in a trap and they were pierced through. Now you notice it says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It does not say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because the Lord knows that we too need food. We need shelter. It takes money to buy that. But for the Christian, the path that is clearly marked out is that Jesus Christ is the provision for our financial resources as we follow him, as we obey him, as we seek first his heart, these other provisions are given to us. The path of darkness says, let's go on the path that will gain for us what we desire. And so off they set. And always there are cleverly done traps And these traps may not take their life, but these traps injure and break and cause great pain and anguish of heart. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay? Everything is crashing. A Christian never has that kind of a sense in their heart. Never does a Christian say, everything is crashing and it's hopeless. Christian never says that. 
A Christian says, my hope is in Jesus. I trust him for what he's doing. I'm going to be faithful to his commands and he will provide for me. I stand and will not be moved. Jesus is my source. Now for a non-Christian, very quickly, they learn how to set up redundant systems to make sure that they have everything covered. You have the job. You have the checking account. You have the savings account. You have the plastic. You have people you can talk to and ask. You've got everything covered. If one system fails, not to worry. I've got the system next in line. Everything is redundant. We've got backups for everything. That's why we say cat with nine lives. Always land on your feet because you've always got a redundant system in place to take care of whatever the issue is. Not a Christian. A Christian does not have redundant systems. For a Christian, there is only one, and he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is Jesus. Now, with Jesus, we simply do what he tells us to do. He may say, have a checking account. He may say, have a savings account. He may even say, have a credit card. But the Christian recognizes that those are never the source. Those are never the answer. The answer is always found in the prayer closet. Lord, what would you have me do? What is the next step or action you have asked me to take? And I will wait patiently upon you until you reveal to me what that path is. There are times when Christians walk in darkness. There are times when the path of light goes through darkness. But it is not because of the sin of the Christian. The word says that it is the light on the path. So there are times in my life when I have been utterly confounded. I have not known what to do. I've not known how to move forward. I've not known how to provide the resources to move forward. But always when that time comes, Isaiah 50 comes into force. If you light your own fires, you'll lie down in torment. In other words, you'll be pierced through. But instead, wait on the Lord. And he will provide. I am here to witness and to bear testimony that the word of God is as money in the bank. He is faithful. So Paul is saying, but you man of God, you woman of God, in verse 11, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, endurance, and gentleness. He would not have included endurance if there was not anything to endure. He would not have included endurance if we were not going to be stretched. It's endurance that needs to come to stand by faith on the word of God and not be moved from it. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. 
It does not say fight the good fight of protecting your checking account. It does not say fight the good fight of protecting your savings account. It doesn't even say fight the good fight of protecting your name or your honor or your reputation. It says fight the fight of faith. Why is that a fight? I don't know about you, but it's a fight for me. I've been trained, if you see it, believe it. But Jesus says, if you're going to see it, you have to believe it first. Those are two opposites, two different paths. The path of darkness says, I'll only believe what I see. The path of light says, I'm going to walk forward and I'm going to trust that Jesus will do what he said he's going to do. I will believe him. Now you understand, please, we're speaking here not about money. We're speaking here about two paths. One path says, I must take care of myself. I must provide for myself. I must do what I must do. The other path, the path of light says, Jesus must do what he said he would do. And I will walk by faith, even when I don't see any evidence to support it, that he will do what he said he would do. This is in regard, yes, to money and finances, but it's also in regard to sin. It's in regard to temptation. It's in regard to those things that want to come in and pierce my soul and drain away my very life. If you have not ever been in a battle for your soul, you won't know what I'm talking about. But I have come a number of times in my life to a place where I have said it is utterly hopeless. I cannot overcome this sin in my heart. I cannot deal with this temptation. It will sweep me away regardless of what I do. Now it's in that place of utter hopelessness that the paths become most clear. The one path will say, condemn yourself, curse God, and die. The other path, the path of light, will say, regardless of how you feel, regardless of how you've sinned against the Lord, believe that he will do what he has said he will do. Let him get at the issue in any way he chooses. And maybe the issue is not even the one you've identified. You know, I see that the Lord always tries to get at B by dealing with A. If he just tried to get at A by getting at A, I'd find resistance in my heart. So instead of trying to get at A, he just hits B and C and D, E and F. All because he wants to get at A. He knows the roundabout way necessary to break through the defenses of my heart and bring me into a humble place of submission where I will finally say, your way is the only way, mighty God of heaven. I shall trust you and I will walk in you regardless of my weakness. It is your strength that carries me. You see, if we could walk this walk with Jesus in our strength, Jesus need not have died on Calvary's tree. We don't need Jesus if we can make it. 
But the truth is none of us can make it on our own. We make it by standing by faith in the name of Jesus. We make it by looking at these two very clearly outlined paths and making a determination that we will walk in the way of light and not in the way of darkness. This way of darkness accuses God. The way of darkness tells us not to take hold of the eternal life to which we've been called. It tells us not to make a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It tells us to stay in our cave and stay hidden. It tells us to wait a better option might come down the track. I want to bear witness today. There is no better option than Jesus Christ. When I look at some of your faces, it seems to me that you've been beaten up. You've been pierced through. Your hearts have sorrowed. The most amazing thing about these two paths is that there is not an exit from the darkness path. It's a one-way shoot to hell. Until the person on that path begins to cry out to Jesus. And then suddenly the road diverges in the wood. And there is a path straight to the heart of Jesus. And all that's necessary is to cry out to the Lord. And that road opens. But on the path of light, there are many trails off of it. There's a path cutting off the trail of light. Every, every few steps, there's another path. And at every one of those steps, there's somebody shouting, Hey, come on, come my way. At every step on that path, there is a, a side trail that takes off that says, If you'll get off this path of light and come and follow my trail, you'll be much happier. You'll be free. What they don't tell you is that that side trail leads straight to the path of darkness. And the chute goes straight to hell. Now the Lord spoke about this through the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, the third chapter. But mark this. In other words, Heads up on this. Be aware. Don't be unaware. Don't be fooled. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days, and we're now in those last days. These are terrible times we live in. What used to be vice is today virtue. And what used to be virtue is today vice in America. The country I was born in called America no longer exists. It's now a place of limited freedoms with those remaining quickly being removed. We live in a day when aliens and UFOs rule the day. When everybody's talking about them. We live in a day when the Nephilim are again making their appearance on the earth. 
We live in a day of utter wickedness and darkness when the judgments of God are beginning to be poured out. These are the terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Oh, that's not describing the world. That's describing the terrible times at the last day in the church. The Pew organization just issued a very informative poll. It was published by the Christian Science Monitor. 87% of those who call themselves evangelicals say there are many different roads to heaven. My Bible says there's only one way to heaven. And that's through the name of Jesus Christ and through his shed blood. There are not many roads to heaven. We live in a day of incredible deception, of darkness, a form of godliness, no power. For some time I prayed, Lord, establish the National Prayer Chapel. And by that I meant open our doors wide and bring in people that we could bear testimony to. You know, I don't pray that anymore. I've let that prayer go. The Lord didn't want to answer that prayer. I'm praying another prayer now. I'm saying, oh God, establish the National Prayer Chapel. And by that I mean, cause every boy and girl, every man and woman in the National Prayer Chapel to be totally, wholly, and completely given over to you. Establish us, Lord. There's still some of you today in this house who have not decided to sell out and follow Jesus. In spite of all the preaching you've heard, in spite of all the teaching you've heard, you still have a divided heart. One moment saying, I'll go walk the path of darkness. The next moment saying, oh, I have to get back to the path of light. Oh, no, I'm back on the path of darkness. You're straddling it. There's going to be destruction in your lives if you don't come with a clean conscience before the Almighty God and say, I will be established in the gospel of Jesus once and for all, without question, I will serve Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what it costs me. Doesn't matter the pain. Doesn't matter the anguish of heart. I will serve Jesus and Jesus alone. There are two paths. They're clearly marked out. One is a path of darkness, of self, of the pursuit of money, of the pursuit of my life, wanting my lifestyle, wanting to be respected, wanting to be loved, wanting to be a a part of the world and part of being natural and being normal. 
That's one path. There is another path, and it is the path of self-denial. It's the path of taking up my cross and following Jesus. It's the path of cutting off every familiar spirit. It's the path of absolute dependence upon Jesus. It's a path where I give my heart wholly into his hand, and I say, Lord, you see the sin of my heart. I give it to you. I give you permission to remove it from me. I ask that these familiar spirits be cut off from my heart and from my life. I ask that the defensiveness of my spirit would be removed. I ask that every action of my heart would be solely that of faith in your blood, Jesus. The dark path says, I must work hard. I must get ahead. I must be respected. I must do what I know I must do. And I must hide my sin. I must not allow others to see the desperate condition of my heart. I must be dishonest. And I must be guarded on all occasions. Lest someone discover my sin and discover who I am and cast me aside and that will cost me money. How do you stand today? Are you sold out totally, completely to Jesus Christ? Or are you still playing the game of trying to straddle these two paths? Have you fooled yourself into believing that this darkness that comes over your heart is just an emotion and you'll get over it? Have you convinced yourself that this darkness that presses on your mind can be relieved by turning to the television or turning to some pleasant amusement or by reading a good book? Or by taking a walk. There's just a bit of indigestion. And you'll get over it and you'll go on and you'll be strong. And you'll accomplish what you want to accomplish. Are you on that dark path? Or have you cried aloud to the Lord God of heaven? This is not about what you've accomplished. This is not about how righteous you are. This is about how righteous Jesus is. And this path of light, this path of holiness, this path of righteousness is not a path of my self-esteem and my accomplishments. This is a path of Jesus' esteem. It's a path of Jesus' accomplishments. It's a path of faith. It's a path where I say, yes, I've been cast down, but Jesus lifted me up. It's a path where we no longer concern ourselves with our reputation. It's a path where we no longer concern ourselves about pleasing any man or any woman, any boy or any girl. It's a path where we don't try to placate anybody. It's a path where we're solely with face toward the cross. Face toward Jesus. Could I shock you all? Did you know Jesus is more real than you are? Sometimes we get the notion that because we haven't seen him lately, he's a figment of our imagination. I read a book once. It was entitled, He's Not a Tame Wolf. 
(laughs) Don't doll Jesus up and feminize him and put him in a petticoat. Don't make Jesus sweet and soft. Oh, he's tender, but he's not sweet and soft. He's a man of great integrity, a man of great power, a man of great intellect, a man of incomparable ability, a man to whom there is no secret unknown. There is every treasure of wisdom to be found in him. He's not some feminized, heroin-faced model. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we stand before him, we will either marvel at his wondrous, wondrous personage, or we will fall in absolute terror before him. I have been very interested in reading the stories of serial killers as they have been placed on death row. And a very interesting phenomena happens. During the trial, when they are sentenced to death, they're quite terrified. But soon the terror dissipates. And one was questioned regarding what is death row like? And he said, well, it's just like every other prison. He was being interviewed by a national personage in the news who was saying, what's it like on death row? Well, it's just like every place else. We're locked in our cell a little more, but they even let us out for times of exercise and showering. They feed us three times a day. We read books and we watch television. It's it's just prison life. Well, do you think about your appointment with the men with the lethal injection? He said, no. Why should I? We all have to die sometime. And so they brush it aside. And they begin to live normal lives. Knowing that there is a death sentence over their heart, they live normal lives. They, they go about the prison activity, talking, laughing, joking, watching the news, reading their newspaper, getting books out of the library. It's prison life. But then the day comes when the request is made, what would you like for your final meal? And most often, they give them all their favorite foods. They feast and gorge. But as that midnight hour comes, and those prison officials make their way, marching down that long corridor, terror fills that man's heart because he knows he's going to face destiny. Some are unable to walk those steps to that execution place. Some have to be carried. Some with bold macho steps march their way down, lay down on the gurney, 
their life is over. How are you going to face death? There's a sentence of death for every man and woman who walks the dark path. There is no sentence of death for those who walk the path of light. For them, there may be a time when they go to sleep, but it's just a short rest until resurrection day. Oh, but for those who walk the dark path, there is death. But it's not over. Then they have to stand in long lines. They have to stand in long lines in the judgment hall of God. As they wait to hear what their eternal punishment will be. And I tell you, terror will fill their hearts. For the scripture says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth on that day of judgment. And then after the judgment, it's not over. Because then comes the fire. The path of darkness ends up in utter destruction with fire. Today, don't think you can live in a happy prison. Getting three meals and some entertainment. Having a roof over your head. Don't believe that because if you do, you're going to fall into the trap and be pierced through. And sorrow will fill the days of your life. You cannot serve both God and money. You will love one and hate the other. Or you will hate one and love the other. Almighty God, today is the day. Lord, deal faithfully with our hearts. And I ask today in the name of Jesus, would you establish the National Prayer Chapel? Would you establish us not in success? Lord, would you establish us in righteousness, in holiness, by the blood shed on Calvary's tree? Not by self-help, but Lord God, by breaking our hearts and humbling us before you. And causing us to cast off the path of darkness once and for all. And to walk boldly on the path of light and glory. To be filled with your presence. To walk with endurance this path. Looking to you, O Jesus. My eyes are on you. And I trust you. For my precious brothers and sisters... I trust you for overcoming every sin and all darkness. I trust you, Jesus, and the work you're doing now as you establish us in your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
Nothing can walk a But the pure in heart I tell you it's a
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel, and we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Also, visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Presence of the King.